You're listening to the Beatbox and Beat Rank Show. We have made it to conference championship week of this very unique college football season. Uh, still, still lots going on, still lots to be decided in terms of the playoff race. We are still dealing with cancellations and the fallouts from those games, but we, uh, we got a little more clarity last week um, in terms of not just the playoff race, but you know, some New Year's Six Bowls in general, um, the lead up to conference championships happening this week. Um, some teams gaining a little more hope, others losing it entirely, um, and, and something that we have been calling for a couple weeks now finally came to fruition. And I want to start with that game. So I'm, of course, talking about North Carolina and Miami. And I would be concerned watching Miami try to defend a service academy this year. They looked like that was the first time that anyone had ever tried to run the ball against them. 554 yards rushing for North Carolina, almost 800 yards of total offense. It was just, we, we didn't expect a blowout per se, but we, we thought North Carolina could and would score and boy, did they. Yeah, credit to us to an extent of no, but I mean, it's, I guess it's not really a credit to us, but it's a credit to us because we watched North Carolina play football this year and knew that it was going to be all offense and that if Miami's offense could keep up, this would be a shootout. Uh, they did not hold up their end of the bargain and North Carolina just ran down their throat all game long. It was a sight to see because this was a Miami team that was defense first Seemingly the entire year, they had talked about how defense was the strong suit. And like, yes, De- having De'Ara King and that offense, in that offense, excuse me, is a, a huge boost and a huge help. They're still going to be a team that tries to turn you over, a team that will stuff you on third down, team that bends but not uh, doesn't break in the red zone. None of that. None of that happened. And finally, it seemed like, North Carolina was the straw to break the camel's back. That is Miami because they were putting on a front for much of the season that they were a top 10 team when really they had no, no reason to be anywhere near there. I think there's a lot of optimism surrounding Miami specifically because they're just kind of one of those college football powers that people want to be good. And they've been a middling football program for a while. A big part of that was just inability to get anything resembling consistent quarterback play. So you bring over someone who has proven he can do it at a high level at De'Ara King, and you start to think, you know, maybe this Miami team will be different. And to an extent they were. They beat pretty much all the teams they should have. They lost to Clemson as they should have. Um, and this was a game that, you know, kind of kind of weird talking about measuring sticks this late in the season, but that's essentially what it was. And it was for North Carolina too, because they're, they're a team that struggled with consistency, as we've talked about. They've gotten as high as number five in the polls. They had a good showing, um, it, despite it being in a loss to Notre Dame. They, they've had great showings. They've had some inexplicably bad performances, um, but this was the offense as we knew it could be, um, kind of at its peak, you've got two running backs going for over 230 yards each, and then you still have Sam Howell back there. Um, content in this game to take a back seat and it not really mattering at all. So, like, this is as dangerous as North Carolina can be. But even so, like, this was 
essentially the third place game for the conference because neither one of these teams is at the level to realistically compete with a, a Clemson or a Notre Dame. It just shows the gap. Like it is so far ahead. The only reason Notre Dame is in the conference is coronavirus, as people may or may not remember. So, where like where does the ACC go next year? I mean, Clemson is obviously its hope, seemingly for the next five years. Can they keep it up? Well, I'd assume so. As long as Dabo's in charge, they'll keep it up. But at what point do you get worried about the ACC becoming the next Pac-12? Uh, I mean, Clemson's the only reason they're not right now. Um, and North Carolina has kind of been the hope, um, not so much last year, but last year you could kind of start to see the pieces coming into place with Sam Howell. Um, is expected to take a leap forward this year. And I mean, next year, I'm sure North Carolina will be the secondary hope because Notre Dame's going to, you know, in their mind, hopefully take a conference championship one for one. You're like, see ya, back to being independent. Um, so it'll, it'll just be back to, to Clemson versus the field, essentially. And that's been the struggle. Um, we haven't seen consistent, like, competition from anyone. Like, the, the meme was, like, everyone in the division opposite of Clemson, um, you know, just took turns winning that division. There's no consistent power, um, you know, just even from within Clemson's own division, obviously, no, no consistent threat either. Mackenzie Milton going to Florida State, I don't think that move by itself is going to turn the Seminoles into a yearly contender, but it at least will improve them. Um, North Carolina will be in the mix. Virginia Tech has struggled to get back to the consistent level they were for all those years under Frank Beamer. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a good answer for you who that, who that team can be that, you know, can consistently compete with Clemson outside of, you know, maybe a stretch of one quarterback's career. It's, it's something to think about, something to look at. Like, where, where does Miami go from here? You know, they seem to be on a bit of an upswing, I guess I'll say, but that's not hard considering where they were just a few short years ago. There's not a lot else inside that conference. And it's very quick that if Clemson – like. Clemson doesn't benefit from playing an ACC schedule at this point outside of the fact that they get a Power 5 conference championship year in and year out. Yeah, they they do get the benefit of the doubt, though. And that's, yes. I think, the biggest difference between them and any other team that happens to be undefeated um, that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Like, blind resume test between, say, like Clemson and Coastal Carolina this year is not really as different as – you might think just looking at the, the names of schools. But since they're Clemson, they've won national titles. Um, I mean, part of the motivation has to be, you know how much Dabo will bitch and moan if you, the selection committee, do not give them something resembling the benefit of the doubt. Um, so that's, that's what they got. And that's, that is ultimately kind of the crux of what college football is. It's not really a true playoff. It is an invitational and it's a, uh, more or less a lifetime achievement club. Um, and it's, it, it kind of gets to the point of, you know, these, these games and these seasons are almost like not really that important, uh, but that's, right. that's kind of saying the quiet part loud. And 
I'll get to that more in the, the loser section. Um, so I don't, I don't want to appear bitter for any reason, but um, the other team I did want to shout out um, for last week was Iowa. Kind of an, another, another thing to, to pat ourselves on the back, but Wisconsin going up against good defenses still have not figured it out. And in Iowa had a, uh, one, one real hiccup there, just muffing the punts. Um, really the, the only time that Wisconsin ever got anything going offensively for most of that game. This is six wins in a row now for Iowa. Um, they very easily could have been um, in the Big Ten title game, if not for the one-point loss to Northwestern early in the season. Um, so they, they've certainly come a, a very long way over the course of a, you know, an abridged season. They have, and I believe they were up 20 to seven in that game as well in the second half. So that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah. You hate to see it happen to a program with such a, uh, a solid off season like they had, but credit where it's due. Like I, I was overcome quite a bit and, and they've been playing really good football of late. Say what you will about the competition in the Big Ten West, but it's certainly not the Pac-12. It's certainly not parts of the ACC. Yeah, and it, it even in a weird season like this, Iowa is perfectly on the pace that they would be in a normal season yep. for between seven and nine wins. Uh, they just they. Kirk Ferentz is the longest tenured head coach in, in the FBS because he has found the formula. Um, and there is a lot to be said about the off the field stuff, um, the off season issues. And I think it's, it's good for a number of reasons that they are not following up that off season by getting a division title um, that would, uh, would not sit well with, with a lot of people. And I think deservedly so, but in terms of the actual football team, um, I mean, they, they have done just enough offensively. We, we kind of had some questions about just what life would look like after Nate Stanley, not saying that was the biggest loss in the world, but just they haven't known anything else for a while. Um, the defense has been solid. Smith-Marset has been an absolute weapon offensively. Yep. Um, I mean, they, they've, they've been the... Uh, the best team in the Big Ten West, I think, over the uh, over the last few weeks. Not, not over the course of the whole season, but right. over the last couple of weeks. I would agree. I, I think Iowa and Northwestern playing again now would be another similar game to what we saw in the first one. Very tight, very low scoring, but it would still be a fun one to watch. Um, maybe more fun than seeing either Iowa or Northwestern go up against Ohio State, but yeah. That's what we're gonna we're gonna have to see. That I would have liked to see uh, Iowa play Indiana at least this week in the uh, the crossover games. They're doing opposite the uh, Big Ten championship game, but I think Iowa is going to be playing Michigan instead. Um, so that should should be another win for them. Um, but yeah, so any any other winners from last week yet? I have two small ones. It was very tough to come up with winners. Uh, I didn't. I didn't feel that there were many winners out there. San Jose State six and zero, going to their first Mountain West title game in program history. Uh, again, they went thirteen and zero in nineteen thirty nine. Not that many people should or would know that, but this is so. This is the first time they've it. been six and zero since then. And then uh, credit to Army fifteen nothing shutout win 
in the first game at one of the academies since World War II. So credit credit to the cadets in, in the big win over the middies. There were people out there who thought an over-under of 37 might be pushing it too low. Some did they think were, that. They were, they were wrong. They, <laughs> they did. Were wrong. Now, certainly the fact that it was exceedingly difficult to see didn't hurt matters, but yep. that's just service academy unders. Always, always got to skew in that direction. Except the Navy Air Force game. Right, year. yeah, which, which was as close as it can possibly be. Yeah. Um, all right, so big loser. We talked about Miami for a while already, but want to stay in the state. Um, team that actually had legitimate playoff hopes had they not done this, but Florida losing to LSU, which knocks the Gators out of the running. They were already trying to overcome that, that one loss to Texas A&M. Could have snuck into the playoff field um, with a win over Alabama. I, I don't think there's a committee member that would have kept them out if they'd done that, but they had to take care of business against LSU too. And they just did not. This is not last year's LSU team. This should not have been a close game, but you let them hang around long enough. You make uh, you make some mental mistakes at the ends, like chucking a shoe 20 yards, and that'll, uh, that'll happen. I mean, that is maybe the most bizarre thing in a bizarre year that we've had. <laughs> Throwing a shoe costs your team a chance at the playoff. Um, credit to both kickers. Like, it was – Okay, at field level, from what I heard, it wasn't that bad, the fog. But obviously, you know, the camera on TV could only use the behind, right. you know, sky cam because that was the only thing that had a clear, clear enough picture for you to see. Um, credit to the kickers because not only did they put two pretty damn good kicks in in the final minute in a, like a high-pressure game, it was from 50-plus yards, both of which had the leg to probably hit from 60. So... Really impressive there, but I mean, you you can't you can't have mental mistakes like that if you want to be a team in the playoff. And now all of a sudden, a team like Texas A and M, who we're still not totally convinced is a good team. Um, some of us may have put them as a sleeper team, but that's neither here nor there. Has a chance at the playoff. I mean, how how insane is that? But well, my my sleepers can just beat Florida, so yes, that's we, true. We can both lay claim to that. That's true. Um, it, yeah, this is a game you need to win. This is also a game you need to win by double digits. They were double digit favorites. This should have been a runaway win. This shouldn't have been much trouble for Florida, and instead LSU comes out has a chance to salvage a 500 season after. Um, a pretty pretty rough start. Although worst case scenario, Florida escapes. Like Cade York missed that kick. Florida comes right back down, hits a field goal of their own, get out of there with a win. Like you know, that's that's not the end of the world because A and M is just they they barely got by LSU a couple weeks ago. They barely got by Auburn, um, and they're they're still in control. It's 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 a survive and advance mentality because for Florida, you still have the light at the end of the tunnel of Alabama. Like, no matter right. what else you do, if you keep winning, you win that game. That in itself would be enough to push you over the top. But, you know, maybe looking ahead um, or just, you know, 
kind of reading the press clippings too much about how the the matchup of their offense against LSU's defense is just such a mismatch. But it it gets a little bit into dangerous territory, um, big picture, because you could uh, you could very much argue that that Florida was at a disadvantage of sorts having to play more games um, than say an Ohio State that has had several canceled by COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm not arguing that you know Florida would for sure beat Ohio State, but you know you take this game off the schedule for them, kind of like what we've seen. Clemson and Notre Dame doing the ACC just canceling their games last week to not even give this as a possibility because a lot of the talking head takes I've heard about um, Florida versus Ohio State head to head is like there's no way that Ohio State would have played this game and lost to LSU it's like well okay that's the exact same thing we were saying coming into this about Florida like at a right. certain point, at a certain point, you have to actually play football games. You can't just sim everything on paper. And that was my biggest gripe with the Big Ten, what they did with Ohio State and Indiana. Like, of course, Ohio State is going to be overwhelming favorites over, you know, Maryland, over Illinois, over Michigan. But if we're just not even going to play the games, like, what is the point of having a season? Because these games come out of nowhere. The Tyler Trent game, Purdue. Nobody would have picked Purdue to, to win that game beforehand. Iowa dropping 55 on Ohio State out of nowhere. Um, nobody would have predicted that Iowa would be anywhere close to Ohio State before that game. It's like you kind of you kind of start to get into a slippery slope con- or like conversation when you are just automatically giving teams wins um, just based on you know preseason projections or um, mm-hmm. just the the spread before the game happens like it's just it's not not how these things work um i would prefer that everyone just plays a full slate we don't have to have these conversations but it gets into dangerous territory where you're just you know assuming teams will just win every time out and kind of makes the actual season irrelevant it does and this now become like the, the whole conversation of the talking heads now is not about who you played or who you beat. It's about the eye test. And it's like, well, if it's about the eye test, why do we put a hundred plus programs through an entire season of football? If we know the four you're going to choose already, it's been right. very obvious from the beginning of the year, who the four were that everyone or not everyone, but that people wanted to see. So why are we putting people and players at risk and putting them through the possibility of, of contracting this virus? That is, that is college football's dirty secret is it has always been about the eye test. It has exclusively been about the eye test. And even when you have teams as good as, so we haven't talked about them in a while, UCF going undefeated, everyone will bend over backwards trying to explain away their very legitimate playoff chances. And that's why every year, despite how, you know, not near their peak they might be, like a Nick Saban Alabama team is always going to be in the thick of the playoff race until, you know, they, they just start losing too many games. Um, like it's any, any loss can be explained away as, you know, oh, this team is, is still good or any, any undefeated upstart team like this year's Coastal Carolina will always be diminished as, well, they don't play in a major conference. Like under the current format, we've said this, 
no group of five team is ever going to come close to to making the playoff field and that's very evidence of a broken system that you know no one seems to too worried about fixing because it benefits the the current powers so why would they yeah where i mean is it crazy to say that the bcs might have actually been the better system i it was it was foolish of like people to try to convince us that the college football like selection playoff selection committee would be more objective and something that takes subjectivity and human error into account would be like more reasonable than going just off the numbers and like this this is not necessarily arguing in favor of the bcs like this is broken needed to change but acting like we're reinventing the wheel when at the end of the day we're pretty much doing the exact same thing is just is just dumb like and expanding the playoff would be the easiest solution here. And I, I really still don't fully understand why we don't do that because it can't be a money thing because money will just be printed yeah. um, for, for weeks on end. Football at every other level has a more expanded playoff, um, like at the college level. Um, yeah. So you can't argue against that either. Um, and it gives you a little bit more leeway. So you're not necessarily feeling as pressured to kind of make the decision between traditional power, college football, blue blood, and group of five upstart. Like there would be room for everyone at the table. And then you can actually just play the football games and let it be decided that way. I'm looking at a current, what the BCS would have. And it is interesting. You've got Cincinnati at number six, Indiana seven, Iowa State nine, Coastal 10, um, BYU 14, Northwestern 15, Louisiana 16, Tulsa 20, San Jose State 21. I mean, that's a team that no one, literally no one but me is talking about at this point in the season, and they are undefeated. Uh, Buffalo's 23, another team that no one is talking about outside of Jarrett Patterson's huge game. But like, the BCS at least gave smaller teams a chance. We are seeing just doesn't matter who you play. doesn't matter where you play. Um, if you are a group of five team, you need to ex- essentially just hope for chaos in the power five. And even then, I, they can't guarantee that you're going to make it. Even then, you'll still lose the argument on the basis of the eye test. Right. So I was saying, like, SEC teams can each give each other two losses, and you will – have an undefeated coastal team, not even like barely breaking in the top 10. It's like you put this team through a full SEC schedule. They're not going to survive. Like, well, that's not what anyone's saying. And also like, if you are so confident that they will lose to an SEC team, put them in the playoff against an SEC team. Right. Just play the game. Um, I, I, again, it's, it's the same thing as like March madness. Like you, you go down first round matchups and like, yeah, it's not one seeds that make the final four every year. Like, you have to actually play the games. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't just advance every four seed over a 13 seed by default because they're a better team on paper. Like, these are the, I don't know. Now I'm getting myself worked up. These are very basic concepts that we, <laughs> we should not have to discuss. But it's no. like, it's just the, the general premise of sports. It, it's just, I, I really don't 
see this changing um, in the current format ever. Like the group of five would be better served to just go back to the old days where you have multiple teams claiming national championships. Like maybe just start your own group of five playoff and whoever wins that every year claim a national championship back in like they did in uh, college football's Wild West days. But go to the BCF, so- make it a four team, make your own four team playoff and show yeah. let the computer do the work. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, it it would it would make so much more sense to just expand the playoff. Um, and I I saw the the sixteen team field is projected where Indiana over A and M would would be the twelve five upset. And I just <laughs> nothing would make me happier um, specifically playing that team. But uh, yeah, it, it's just it's it's haves and have nots in college football. And if yeah. you're a have not, you're never making it to the playoff. Right. It's as simple as that. Um, yeah. So. I, I have other losers, but they are in the individual category of coaches who are no longer employed. Our by, friend, our dear friend. Yeah. Having someone um, just going out as only he can, losing 70 to 70 to rival Arizona State. Um, one, one final blaze of glory. And It's impressive in the sense that Arizona steadily got worse significantly every year he was in charge um, and had someone as talented and as promising as Khalil Tate and really did not end up having much to show for it. But our sweet prince is, uh, is finally done in Tucson. I feel like Arizona can now go get the coach they actually wanted. I feel like Khalil Tate kind of forced their hand a little when it was rumored that Niamatololo from Navy was going to be their guy. And he was like, I am transferring immediately if they hire this dude. And so then they're like, all right, fuck it. Let's give Kevin someone a shot. And that obviously did not work well. But Ken's name is back out there as a uh, possible replacement. I like him. I think he's a good coach. I just don't know how he fits at a non-service academy because it's been so long, but it feels like things have gotten a little stale in Annapolis. So it would, it would make sense to see him move. I, yeah, I think the, the fit concern there is legitimate. And like, I can't really fault Khalil Tate because I don't see the two of them working well yeah. together at all. Um, even to the extent that like Arizona didn't have a ton of success even with Tate and someone from a one loss perspective, I, I think it would have been even worse with um, you know, the alternative, but yeah, it's uh, Arizona's an interesting job. They have had some success, um, not, you know, like national title hopeful, but they've been a, a consistent top 25 team, um, had some good years under Stoops, under Rich Rod. Um, so there, there's potential there, but it's uh it's getting tougher out there. Herm seems to be building something at Arizona State. Um, the the Pac-12 as a whole is uh, not the best, but there uh, there are still good, you know, coaches. If you want to keep it regional focus, you can. Um, there are good Mountain West coaches that you could you could bring up to the next level, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still a big enough school that I I think it'll 
still have some uh, some national interest and in, in maybe a, a national scope in a coaching search. It's not going to be the biggest one though, um, because now we have Auburn also open. Yep. No more Gus Malzahn. I I tell you a nightmare scenario if you're ready for this. They they do the national search. Um, they you know Matt Campbell we don't want to. Billy Napier, we don't want you. Jamie Chadwell, any of those guys. We're just going to we, – we've got head coaching experience on our staff. We're just going to promote Chad Morris. Oh, Jesus. Give, give him the Rams, let him cook. They, there's no way they can do that. They can't. But that's I – mean, I, I, put that, I put that thought into the heads of any Auburn fans out there. So now you cannot complain about whoever you eventually hire because know that it could have been worse. It certainly could have. I don't know how – like, I, I have found myself cheering consistently for Auburn and Gus throughout basically the entirety of the five years we've been doing this show, and I don't know how or why. I think expectate, the expectation game is what killed him year in and year out. Like, they performed well. The defense was always solid. The offense at times was good enough to win many games, but – I feel like preseason expectations are always what killed him. And this year is no different. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, how far away are we from, you know, coaches even just openly arguing against preseason rankings um, in terms of protecting their job security? It'd be a thing. Um, but I, I think part of the appeal of Gus Malzahn at Auburn was a little bit of Alabama fatigue. And he, as much as anyone in the SEC, was a thorn in Saban's side, um, could really get under his skin at times. Um, and I think it was, it was entertaining from that perspective. But yeah, like Auburn pretty consistently, you know, somewhere between 11th and 15th preseason, at three or four losses a year um, or more, um, some that they, they really shouldn't be suffering. And then it was just a – the last several years under Gus just been a revolving door of offensive coordinators. Hadn't been able to, to keep anyone more than a year, um, and it's hard to build a consistent offensive identity when that is your strategy. And that in that case, it doesn't matter how good the talent on the defensive side of the ball is. Um, you're going to lose games that you should definitely win because you don't have an offensive identity. And – that, that ultimately, I think, was the, the biggest thing working against him. Um, Coupling and win, like, you can get away with that in lower leagues, but not in the SEC especially. Um, so, I mean, he'll be fine. He'll land on his feet. But now the eyes of the college football world are now turned to this job. Yeah. And who, who the next Auburn coach will be. Who wants to coach Bo Nix? That's the question. I mean, people should. I agree. I'm just saying that I think that's the draw there. Yeah. Because you have a chance to step in and, like, be successful in year one. Yeah. And Bo Nix as a prospect is still, say, a a relatively blank canvas. Um, I I think there is a lot of opportunity for growth. And 
if if Bo takes off next year, which is a big if, like whoever whoever comes in is going to get all of the credit. Yeah. Um, so I I don't think that's that's outside of the realm of possibility at all for him to do that, even though we have kind of been talking about when that'll happen for the better part of, of two years and will surely carry into his third. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, it's gonna be an interesting one. And we'll see if any other high profile jobs come available. Like we are keeping a close eye on, on Michigan. That's I think the only program like at Auburn's level um, in terms of prestige that, could have an opening, but mm-hmm. if if Michigan sticks with Harbaugh, it's like this is just a blip, nothing more. Then Auburn will, uh, you know, pretty much be able to get whoever they want. Absolutely. And then a little closer to home, the Lovey era at Illinois is over. Um, not not can't be surprised from a results perspective um he right he did a lot in, in terms of improving the infrastructure around the program facilities and setting a good baseline foundation for whoever the next guy is but at, at a certain point you just you just have to win games you have to be more competitive than they were on the field just they weren't um came to a tough situation can't really i can't really default him too much for for what they did or didn't do on the field but Illinois is uh, is an interesting job out there because Illinois is not going to have the same hiring ability that an Auburn will have. Probably not the same as an Arizona will have. Um, right. And I think it, it is big time one of those programs when you're talking about on a yearly basis and also when you're just talking about who you're going to hire as your next football coach, that expectations are extremely important and you you have to realize that as a member of that particular fan base. Not to mention, like each hire is incredibly important because if you get it wrong, look what I mean. Look where you're at. This this has been Illinois football for basically since the Rose Bowl year, and before that, yeah, yeah, honestly, and um, they basically, I mean, they would love to be where Northwestern is. I think would be a a very easy and fair statement at this point. So who can you find that's going to be young, energetic, bring some life back into the program, really recruit. Lovey wasn't a terrible recruiter, but you could tell it wasn't his forte and his strong suit. Like you said, building a culture, building a program was what he did best. Um, who, Who can bring in some guys to Illinois and then really put it together on the field because that's at this rate, that's what they need. You can't, you can't go messing around anymore. And the Pat Fitzgerald thing at Northwestern, honestly, is uh, like the exception rather than the rule. That's like a a one in a million situation. That'd be like Illinois bringing in somebody like Jay Lehman um, and then just him having a sustained run of success because Mm -hmm. there is a food chain of sorts. Like Illinois is, really not anyone's final destination dream job, like the way Northwestern is for Pat Fitzgerald. Um, the, the guys that Illinois will be able to get, you're not going to sway like a Matt Campbell from Iowa State. You're going to get up-and-coming coaches from the MAC or teams at that level that 
you know, we'll come to Illinois. We'll be excited about having an opportunity at a power five school. Um, but if they have any sort of sustained run of success, they're not going to hesitate leaving Illinois for a better job. And I think that is kind of the acceptance phase where you have to be at an Illinois fan because talk about the, the Rose Bowl being the peak. They had a couple of, of good seasons under Ron Turner back in the day, back in the Kurt Kittner era. Um, when they were ruling the roost on in basketball and football, but every coach that Illinois has had since the nineties, they've ended up firing. So like the concern that um, fans may have about Illinois being like a, a stepping stone sort of program, like. Got to get there that's, first. That's a good thing. Like that yeah. would be a good thing. That would mean you are having a sustained run of success and coaches are being hired away. Um, but like that, that's not what's happening right now. Um, and I, you, you can't assume you're going to get someone who will just be so jazzed about Illinois football, stay there for 30 years. Like Indiana realistically is the exact same boat. Um, I'm still holding on hope that since Tom Allen is from Indiana and has said that Indiana is his dream job, that he might actually mean it. But I understand that like any sort of sustained run of success, if Kevin Wilson didn't run into off the field issues and Indiana kept improving at the rate that they were under him, I'm sure he would have left of his own volition to get a, a better job somewhere else at more of a traditional football school. But like Illinois is in the exact same boat and you can, you're, you may not be blown away by whoever they end up hiring. Cause it, it probably will be like someone from the Mac or, you know, it's, it's not going to be, a, a lateral move it'll be a you can get a, a young guy from the mac or you can get a retread like lovey smith those are your options at illinois kevin someone's uh, available he is and i mean that that's the other thing if you are if you're illinois like you can always just bring in uh like maybe this is the place that gives jeff Munkin a, a shot um so maybe when you're not when you're not a traditional power, you bring in somebody who's a little different, maybe a little gimmicky, and and that gives you a competitive advantage that you're not going to get because from just recruiting because you're not a place where five stars are just lining up to go. So mm -hmm. maybe we just speak that into existence. That would be fun. Good to see, but uh, I mean both service academies losing their coach in the same off season or two of the three, excuse me. I didn't mean to cut out air force, but wow, that would be, that would be something. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he is a guy that is eventually going to be hired away um, yeah. into a, a power five job, but I don't know when that'll be um, there. There have been several popping up though, as we said, like we don't expect this to be like college basketball last off season and, certainly hasn't been like schools have gotten going on this early and Gus uh, has a 21.5 million dollar buyout that they paid yeah I mean that that is that is the dream mm -hmm. to just get massive buyouts as a football coach and then yeah. coach poorly enough to get fired and just be paid to not coach exactly like, yeah Charlie Weiss had it right he really did. <laughs> Paid by multiple schools simultaneously to not coach. Um, all right. So, it, as I said, it is uh, conference championship week. 
we have uh, a lot of good ones. The the Power Five and the uh, the American and the Sun Belt are all ranked matchups for the most, except for the Pac-12, I guess. But we're we're Shocker. we still have to to mention them. Obligatory mention. Um, it should be USC Washington, but Washington has more or less recused itself for having a COVID outbreak uh, within their team, not having enough players. Um, so it's going to be Oregon instead. We thought this might be the matchup in the preseason, but I think it has certainly lost a lot of its luster once we've seen what a uh, not full strength Oregon team has been able to do against a not good Pac-12. Um, USC has been the best team in the conference, but that's not saying much at all this year. No. Um, but as a great sales pitch on my part for this game, but how do you see this one going? I, I'm going to be very – I could not care less about this football game. Uh, there is a 0% chance I will watch even a single second of it. I will say I think USC is going to win. I think it's going to be an ugly game. Uh, I would put it in the, the high 20s, maybe even low 30s, similar to what we saw from USC this past weekend against UCLA, I think. Ground game is going to be big for Oregon as it has been all year. And Keaton Slovis is just going to have to make plays offensively because I don't think either defense is really up for the challenge. This is a controversial take now, but I will watch this game. Because what the hell else am I going to do on on Friday night? Um, But yeah, same same conclusion. It's going to be USC. Um, They... Tried like hell to keep UCLA around last week to the bitter end. But, I mean, if that's their worst and we've seen what Oregon can be, which is significantly worse than that, I'm confident that USC will at least, um, you know, somewhat show up to play this week. And big picture, this is just like COVID very, very much helped out Clay Helton. Extremely. their original schedule was going to be pretty brutal. And getting to bypass the tough non-conference games, having so many other talented players within the conference opt out due to coronavirus concerns, just wanting to prepare for the NFL draft instead, Um, playing an abbreviated schedule, not losing any games so far. Like, this is – it's pretty, pretty effective at uh, at least temporarily cooling your seat. But, yeah, I mean, I could say all that and, and Oregon could win by 40 this weekend, but it's I don't possible. expect that'll happen. I just don't see it. I, I haven't seen anything from them. That makes me think they have a chance in this. Uh, not that they have a chance, but that they will come out and surprise us like that. Right. Uh, all right. Big rematch. In the ACC, Clemson, Notre Dame, ACC officials desperately holding on to hope that both of them can make the playoff still. Um, They are both currently within the field, but have to play each other head-to-head. Do you think Notre Dame does it twice? It's very hard to beat the same team twice, especially when that same team has the best quarterback. Um, I'm going to take Clemson. I think it's going to be a tight game again. If Notre Dame's offense can keep rolling like they have, like we've seen, that'll be huge. It'll keep them in this game. Um, The defense has obviously played pretty well. DJ 
tore him up a little bit, but that was to be expected as he is not as big as drop off as many people think. Um, defense wins it. Whichever defense can make more plays is going to end up winning this game. I'm honestly expecting a very similar game for what you alluded to. Getting Trevor Lawrence back is nice, but I don't think he by himself moves the needle all that much just because Clemson got such good quarterback play in the first game already. Mm -hmm. Not saying that Trevor Lawrence isn't good. He is very good. He is the best NFL prospect in the country, but DJ tore up Notre Dame's already very good defense in the first game. So I, I'm confident Trevor can at least match that level, but expecting him to, to go above and beyond what a lot of people are alluding to and kind of expecting, you know, with him, that makes Clemson so much of a better team. Um, he does, but I think it's more negligible than, than people are thinking. And, and their defense was really the problem in the first matchup. Yeah. Yeah, and, and not getting as consistent production out of uh, Travis Etienne either, Yeah, um, who normally is very reliable for them. So I, I think points will still be scored here. Not as many as the first game. Team defenses especially will make adjustments. But, um, yeah, I, I, like, I like Notre Dame here. And Speaking of Notre Dame's defense, they, they might be losing their defensive coordinator soon. Um, yeah. An opening we haven't mentioned, Vanderbilt, um, Derek Mason, getting the boot there. Um, typically, Notre Dame defensive coordinators going to head coaching positions have not worked out, but maybe, maybe he'll be the difference at, at Vanderbilt. But um, – that's that's still that's still thinking a couple of steps ahead, but should should Notre Dame make the playoff, should that be announced before the season's over and they have to go with a sort of a, a makeshift coaching staff that could be something to keep an eye out down the road. Yeah. Absolutely. For this weekend I'm I'm sticking with Notre Dame in a uh, another extremely close game. Uh Let's go to the Big Ten. Northwestern, Ohio State. Old friends colliding once again. Um, rematch of a couple of years ago. Northwestern was significantly more of an underdog then. They are not exactly favorites now, but it, it, it's not, it would not be quite as shocking if they were to win this game compared to a couple of years ago. Um, but how do you see this one going? I think the biggest thing um, that we, we saw this year was Indiana made Ohio State look human. And in that, a good defense could take advantage and make plays and force turnovers against a guy like Justin Fields, who basically looked untouchable through the early part of the season. With that said, I think Northwestern really has to take a lot of shots, be home run hitters defensively if they want to win this game. And then the offense obviously has to really produce. I think Ohio State's going to win. I think North, uh, Northwestern sticks around for a little bit, but I think they blow it open in the second half. So I'm going to take Ohio State fairly large. Yeah, the, for a couple of reasons, the Trevor Lawrence-Justin Fields debate didn't 
rage quite as uh, red hot as I thought it might have in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Part of that was Lawrence missing a couple of games. Part of that was Fields having his three interception performance against Indiana and a lot of people cooling on him. Part of it was Kyle Trask and Mac Jones just meant so damn good. Yeah. Um, that attracted a lot of the attention. But um, in this game, I, I, I think it's going to be Ohio State's they are inevitable. Um, the Big Ten saw that as such. It would be hilarious if they moved the goalpost for Ohio State to get in and they lost when conceivably, even if you don't put Ohio State in this game, they probably make the playoff. Right. Um, that, that is the funniest possible result, but I really don't see that happening. I think it'll be close um, just because Northwestern's defense will be able to, to make enough plays. Their secondary is going to be asked to do a lot because not only do you have Justin Fields, you have Chris Olave, you have Garrett Wilson, a couple of the the better wide receivers in the country. Um, And I mean, it's, it's just a lot to, to kind of ask your offense to match them shot for shot when you're Northwestern and your offense isn't built the same way that in Indiana is that they can kind of withstand that initial punch over the first half and, and slowly work back over um, the course of the second half. Like, love Peyton Ramsey. He's not going to be able to lead you back from, from 28 points down against this Ohio State team. Um, you've got to keep it close throughout the entire game to have a shot kind of at the end, just kind of hang around, hope Ohio State makes some mistakes, make Ohio State make some mistakes. Um, that's the, the best case scenario for Northwestern is like a 21-17 game. Yeah. I – I just don't see them doing it for four quarters against this Ohio State team. You got to stick with the Buckeyes here. I think a crowd really would have helped, too, in this game. But who knows? Maybe, maybe the, the dead silence will remind them of Evanston and it'll be a home field advantage. Maybe. I don't know. I like Northwestern is not striking me as the best traveling fan base. No, but I think enough. there'd be enough neutrals in the crowd where if Northwestern found some momentum, it could help. Maybe. If there were, if there were locals there, sure. Um, yeah. I, I bet Northwestern would get additional support because um, everybody hates Ohio State. But, um, yeah, Big 12, Oklahoma, Iowa State, um, both out of the top four playoff picture at this point, but still lots of play for um, near six bowl bid will likely only go to the winner unless it is just a triple overtime thriller, just impossible to um, differentiate between these teams at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Marty played once. Iowa State won that um, right after Oklahoma lost to a very bad Kansas State team that not enough people are talking about. But that is the college football landscape. Um, Who do you like in the rematch? Oklahoma starting to click. Iowa State looked really good. I'm going to take Iowa State. I'm going with your guys. Uh, I think they've got the better defense by a significant margin, and that's going to be the difference in this game. Um. The offense looks ready to roll. Brees Hall can run for a million yards in this game because Oklahoma's run defense just isn't very good. Limiting big plays and obviously taking advantage of your opportunities offensively. Don't turn the ball over. 
and Iowa State should win this one uh, pretty easily. Yeah, I had, I had Brees Hall right there on my ballot, first team All-American, I think well, well deserved. And I will say these two teams are playing their best football right now, which is certainly what you want to see out of your championship game participants, but right. is very much not always the case, aka Oregon or Florida or in a given year, any number of teams. But for where the Big 12 was a couple of weeks ago, this is probably right. the best possible outcome they could have hoped for. Definitely. They, yeah, they were never going to have somebody work their way all the way up um, to the point of they would have a, a legitimate spot at the top four. But being up to number seven, number 11, that's, yeah, I, I don't think too many people would have seen that coming after some of the early season struggles. But here we are. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, it's similar thing we talked about Clemson Notre Dame. Very tough to beat a team twice, especially when they're playing as well as Oklahoma has. Don't care. Yep. Right, riding with the clones. Um, it's, it's good that they are not having to rely as much on Brock Purdy as they have in years past. He is good, but when you have a security blanket as good as Brees Hall is, that's, that's kind of taking this team to the next level and why this has been Matt Campbell's best team at Iowa State. Right. Um, let's, let's go to the Sun Belt. Another top 20 matchup, Louisiana, who beat Iowa State, against Coastal Carolina, who beat Kansas. So probably the better conference right here, Sun Belt. Who are we liking? I can't pick against Coastal. I just can't do it. Um, Louisiana's got a great run game. That's what they will rely on. Coastal, as we've seen, likes to run the ball, likes that kind of like pistol looking triple option kind of styled offense. Their defense is very solid. They're, they're very good against the run. Um, I like Grayson McCall at quarterback better than basically anyone in the entire Sun Belt, so I'm going to take Coastal. It's possible both of these coaches leave to take better jobs after the season, but yeah. it would be nice if we could develop this into kind of a yearly thing, um, have – multiple like Appalachian State in the past has been a little bit of a power but if we can get some consistent ranked teams in the Sun Belts um, that would be that would be great as well um, recently Neil Brown did some some good work at Troy before bolting to a power five job and that's kind of what you're we talking about earlier like these are always going to be stepping stone schools but if I can dream for a moment and we can uh, we can have some elite teams in the Sun Belt every year that would be awesome yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, with Coastal again. They just can't say it enough. They came out week one, bludgeoned their opponent, and just kept doing it every week this season. Um, they have been remarkably consistent for the most part. Um, even in an emotional letdown game last week against Troy, they were able to battle back and and hold on to keep the perfect season alive. This would be yet another very good win for them that no one nationally will respect. But yep. I'm going to uh, get out the chance clears here. SEC, Alabama, Florida. This game lost almost all of its luster. But yeah, if you're if you're saving, you for sure just want to go pedal to the metal, protect that number one seed. Um, Alabama is probably in 
either way, I'd have a very hard time seeing anyone leaving them out, even with a loss. Um, I think Florida has any shot here after last week. They can't play as bad as last week, I think, is the, the positive spin you can put on it. But at the, same time, at, the, at the same time, they'd need to play infinitely better than they did last week to even stay competitive in the game. And I think Alabama wins this one handily. It could be over by halftime. Yeah, I, I haven't looked at the, the spread yet, but I, I think something in the two-touchdown range would probably be reasonable. Um, but knowing Alabama this year, it'll probably be even higher than that. Um, so I'm a little, a little worried to, to look, but if our, if our stats department pulls that up, then <laughs> might, might have an answer shortly. They're um, buzzing either, in my ear. It is a 17-point yeah. Alabama spread. All right. Over so, under 74 and a half. Oof. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some, uh, some Alabama, Florida games in the past, that's like three times what the over under would be. Um, yeah. Okay. So I was close, but yeah, that's, that's about where I would expect this game to be um, in terms of a margin of victory. I, I think Alabama is the better team already. They are going to have a little more confidence, but based on last week, but hopefully not consuming too much rat poison. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're just too good. They have, they've been doing what Coastal has been doing, but on a bigger stage. Like they have just been taking it to everyone each week. And a, a big part of the reason that I just do not respect Texas A&M was how hopeless they looked against Alabama second game of the year. Um, and what could have been a very big statement. Like, credit to them, they turned it around after that, and they've looked shaky at times but haven't lost since. But Alabama has stayed at that level all season long. Uh, It's been incredibly impressive, and I don't expect that to change this week. It's it's hard to see a way Florida wins. It's very hard. It's it's difficult. Um, Last one should have been played last week. It was not. um, Just – Playing it this week now, uh, Cincinnati, who has fallen back behind Iowa State and with it, the little college football playoff hopes they had, they will be playing Tulsa. Who are you liking here? I'm going to take Cincinnati in a tight, low-scoring game. They've got a very solid defense. Tulsa also very good defense, but I, I just trust their offense more. Desmond Ritter has been great on the ground. If he can get his arm going a little bit, that will – open things up significantly for Cincinnati offensively and should take the pressure off their defense a bit. So I'm going to take Cincinnati in a tight, low scoring game. Yeah. Same breakdown we had last week before a game that didn't end up being played. Um, I mean, this is pretty much like first to 20 wins. Right. Um, And I I think that'll be Cincinnati. Um, It's, it's unfortunate that there isn't more juice behind this game because I, I think Cincinnati has a, a legitimate claim to a little more respect nationally. I, I certainly don't think that Iowa State should have jumped them like as high as I've been on the Cyclones all year. That just was one of the, the final nails in the coffin of group of five team will never have a legitimate shot here. Um, but I, I think they'll, they'll take that to heart a little bit. Um, they're, we're, we're recording this before the, the new playoff rankings come out later tonight on Tuesday, but I, I don't think it'll, it'll be anything 
for Cincinnati to celebrate outside of potentially bulletin board material to come out and make a statement here, which I think they ultimately will. Agreed. Agreed. And it should be a bigger game, but it's just not going to get the shine it deserves. We are happy to oblige. Um, So big week of college football. That is, uh, that is it for now. Be back with the sprint option later in the week. Um, and I will just say we both had very successful Saturdays. So you'll want to hear us gloat about that for sure and, and get some of your conference championship weekend picks. But we must soldier on to college basketball now. Um, not as much going on in terms of championships, but lots of, of big results, early season surprises early season uh, disappointments and people saying things that garners reactions. <laughs> um, that is how I will Whoever could you now. be speaking of? I, I mean, I, no, let's, uh, let's, let's get there and, uh, and figure it out, but we'll, we'll start on a more positive note. Um, some, some winners of last week. Um, who is who's your big winner of the week? I'm going to go with Missouri beats Liberty and then takes down Illinois. Um, undefeated to start the season back in the or in the top 25. Just an overall good week. They took it to Illinois, forced a lot of turnovers defensively, and while it was one of the uglier finishes to a game I've seen, like the last five to seven minutes, they still were able to hold on to a win against a top 10 team. Yeah. Huge, huge for Missouri and also the SEC. So we talked yeah. about with Kentucky disappointing early in Tennessee, like they've played a couple games now, but they were one of the last power six teams to start their season. Um, there wasn't, too much to celebrate for the conference in the young season, but, you know, small sample size, but Missouri is like green out of the gate. Liberty is a, a solid win as well, but obviously the headliner there is Illinois, who has looked very good in their own right for much of this young season. Um, so getting the bragging rights win is, is huge, something Missouri strives for every year, and now they're a, a top 20 team nationally. So things coming up Kwanzaa so far. They are. Had San Diego State on there as well. Mm -hmm. Undefeated San Diego State. We haven't heard this before in college basketball circles, but you're hearing it more and more. Um, Getting the the big win over Arizona State where it was was really not close. Um, And it was a very, very good performance. One of their, their higher profile matchups of this young season, but Past that with flying colors. Obviously, a lot of questions. Um, we we talked about them beating UCLA earlier in the year, and there were there were question marks coming into the season with what they were losing, but they still have a, a very strong quarterback, and Brian Dutcher is is one of the more underrated coaches nationally, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. what he's been able to do the last couple seasons, and they look like they're gonna be a force out west once again. They do, and they shut down a top-20 offense in Arizona State who is really relying on their guards, and yet again, they are a top-20 defensive team. So while they might not have a star or as big of a star as they did last year in Malachi Flynn, they still have a very solid team 
and like you said, a very solid coaching staff to power this, this group through the Mountain West. Yeah, so, I mean, that's it's good news for the Mountain West because that was a, a conference, I think, coming into this year. You look at it and it's like it had a lot of great teams, a lot of great moments last year, but it seems ripe for a bit of a drop-off. And outside of San Diego State, that may still be true. But yeah. with how San Diego State has looked, it gives you a little more hope that Mountain West can, you know, perhaps get – multiple teams back into the dance again this year. Absolutely. And uh, that would be something if they could. So they got to hold out hope there. I also had Kansas as a winner. I could not find the tab that I had on my list on. Uh, Kansas, they beat Creighton. It was not a pretty game from either team. The Jays were horrific from the free throw line. I believe nine of 18. And they didn't shoot very well from three. Kansas made plays, though. Credit to them. They, they made a bunch of plays when they needed to. They, they made Creighton uncomfortable offensively, which is a very difficult thing to do as, as someone who cheers for a Big East school that struggles with Creighton year in and year out. It's not the easiest thing. And they've got guys that can score, and it doesn't have to be just the same group every single time on the floor. Like Agbaji really struggled. Didn't matter until the end. He had a couple buckets that were huge. Bryce Thompson has been very good. Um, Wilson has been solid. I can never remember his first name. Marcus Garrett has been really great on both sides of the ball. Interior play has struggled a little bit. David McCormick hasn't been great, but I think he, he's just learning. And that, that's as simple as you can put it. When you've got a guy like Doke in front of you for a while, it's, you're not going to get many chances and many minutes to be the guy on that team, but things look to be coming together a little bit for Kansas here. Yeah, there's no way they would have matched last season's interior production. Um, it's just not not in the cards. You, right. you get a, a physical specimen like Doke once in a blue moon. Um, so e- even learning under him is, is not always going to be enough. And yeah, it was it was a sloppy game as a lot of games have been this early in the season and kind of both issues that you alluded to reared their ugly heads in the last sequence. You have, you have Kansas making the mental error of, of following a, following a three point shooter and Creighton unable to convert at the line ending up, you know, costing them the game at the end. But mm-hmm. both, both these teams are, are going to be good. They're going to be tournament teams. They're going to be players at the end. Um, but I, I think this was, Probably a win that, weirdly enough, Kansas needed a little bit more. Not something we would say in a normal year, but with them looking up at Baylor within the Big 12 and, and trying to avoid getting lost in the mix and that very talented second tier that we've talked about time and again, this was a, uh, was a pretty good confidence builder for a young team. And Creighton will still be fine. They'll, they'll be, you know, right up there with Philadelphia in the big East, but for, for Kansas, this is, uh, you know, you can't really rely on the mystique of Allen as much this year um, as, as you normally would without, you know, full capacity crowds, although did have some boots on the ground there, but yeah, um, it was, it's, it's not the same certainly. And 
I mean, that's that, that's taken away a huge advantage. So it was uh, it was encouraging sign for Bill Self that that his team could could get a win over a good Creighton team like that. It was, and I I, I think Creighton can take a lot away from this game and and basically say we played maybe a C plus game at best, and we're hitting two free throws away from you know our best player, potentially the Big East Player of the Year at the line with a second left missing a free throw away from a overtime or, you know, in general winning the game. Um, moral victories don't count. We all know that we, I mean, it's, it's the cliche on the cliche, but they, there is something to take away from this game. If you're creating, especially when you see the way that Villanova has played to start this season, they look way more vulnerable than I think anyone, especially myself had expected. Yeah, that's that's extremely fair, and yeah, I mean, it's it's almost a it's almost a dual winner situation, um, right? There, there are positives to take away for Creighton, but um, obviously you want to capitalize on that and, and end up getting a a big resume boosting win. This winning at Kansas, regardless of outside circumstances, is always going to look amazing on the resume. right. Um, so I want to shout out Clemson undefeated start to the season, um, got their second win over a big 10 team, uh, by beating Maryland already beat Purdue early in the season. They, uh, dominated Maryland yeah. in the, uh, the big 10 ACC challenge that the big 10 won again, but in this game, they did not, um, it was, it was all Clemson and, uh, it's it's been a, a little bit of a, a topsy turvy start with the ACC. Some of the teams that we expected to be near the top have struggled. Um, Florida State has not. Um, they have they have been good. They are unblemished on the season. But Clemson, one of those teams in uh, the second or even third tier, uh, we might have thought preseason that has uh, looked like one of the best teams in that group and, and one of the better teams in the conference at large. Yeah, I mean, credit Brad Brunel. I mean, we, we've talked about him before, but there there is some talent on the squad. They're get, just getting a ton out of this roster, though. And any sort of consistency that he can put forward from here, they, I find it hard to see Clemson not making the tournament after this start. Basically, they'd have to slip up considerably in conference play, but they they should be pretty well primed to be an NCAA tournament team. Yeah, I mean they're they're defending better than Virginia right now. Yeah, and is that sustainable over the course of the season? It might be. It's certainly a lot more sustainable Possible. than like defense is a lot more effort based than offenses. Right. Um, so you don't necessarily have to have the most talented roster. And I mean, honestly, that's why Tony Bennett started playing the way he did because Virginia most years is going to be at a talent disadvantage. So um that's that's an encouraging sign and they just absolutely sucked the life out of maryland this is not last year's maryland team i understand that but they should not have struggled to the extent that clemson forced them to um and that's that's a credit to the tigers and and brad brunell i I feel like just goes back and forth between hot seat and is he good enough to get another job right Uh, he, he might be going into the the ladder this year um but 
it's uh it's a it's a very good start to the season for Clemson. They are going to have to prove it, of course, through ACC play um, and and earn everything they got. But if they they continue defending at a high level, not necessarily at this high of a level, they will be successful. Agreed. I, I mean, if if you can just pick an identity, like get an identity set for your team early. Clearly, theirs is defense first. You are well well ahead of the uh, ahead of the pace in terms of getting your team ready for the big games come January, February, March. True. And that's somewhat of an advantage you may have not relying on one and dones. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of weird to say from a uh, just roster talent perspective, but it is easier with, you know, continuity perhaps to just have an identity um, versus just trying to figure it out as we've seen some blue bloods really struggle with so far this year. Yeah. Um, do you have any more winners or can we, can we talk about some of those? Let's, let's talk about some of the, the blue bloods. Okay. Uh, so Duke is struggling. We have, we've talked about Kentucky already and their struggles. Um, Duke was uh, in the same boat for, uh, for mo- most of this season. Um, and their challenge game was against Illinois at home and I mean more or less just got run out of the gym like Illinois was far and away the better team Duke did not put up much of a challenge for most of the game Um, the the highlights were few and far between Illinois was in control for most of the game there was a there's a big showcase moment for a lot of the lesser guys on Illinois roster Um, so there had been some questions about depth after you know, all-American type players in Desumu and Coburn, um, but uh, their other guys played well as well. And that is just, it's its such a difference for Duke this year. It's like growing up in the Chicago area, watching pretty much all the Illinois games were on TV. There's never a year really outside of 2005 where I could have really thought like going into Cameron Indoor, you know, might have a chance to win um, right but it, it it was not shocking at all to see this happen and part of that is how talented Illinois is this year but a big part of that is there is no sort of Duke mystique like regardless of whether the the Cameron crazies are there or not kind of a similar thing we were saying about Kansas like this is a young inexperienced team that has not gelled together at all they have not figured out how to play together as a cohesive unit. And we, we kind of allude to the problems with Kentucky not having returnees. Duke has returnees, but they're not like top yeah. of the roster talents that you would want to have at a place like Duke. Like Matthew Hurt was one of the most coveted recruits coming out of high school. He hasn't put it together at the college level to the point where you want him to be the go-to guy at Duke. Um, it's just hasn't, hasn't reached that point. Wendell Moore has not reached anywhere near that point as well. And those are your-, your You could argue that Jordan Goldwire is having a bigger impact yeah. than either guy. Yeah, and that's not, not a positive. No. For Duke. But it, it begs the question of, at what point do you 
Like, at what point is the one-and-done game detrimental? Do you need to start mixing in some th- two, three, four-year guys into your program, or are you just going by the reigning systems and going for the highest-rated re- recruits every year? I think this year, more than any other, that will be highlighted more just due to not having a full offseason um, mm-hmm. where you could conceivably try to pick apart some of these issues, come together as a team, you know, play exhibition games to figure it out on the fly. And not only exhibition games, but like all of the bye games that just aren't happening. Yeah. Um, it's a, is the kind of what I can speak to from a, I don't want to be the defend blue bloods guy, but I guess that's what I'm doing. Um, and it, it might not be as striking as it is now. Um, you know, having to see the likes of Duke play good teams, um, you know, so much out of the gate. Like so they will participate in games like the the Champions Classic, but they'll they'll mix that in with bad example, but Stephen F. Austin's. Yeah. Uh, so, but but most of the time they'll win those. Um, so it's it's not necessarily as top of mind as it in, as it is this year, um, but. If, I, I think it's still fair to say that this is just not as good a Duke team as you've seen in most years. Um, they've got very talented players on the roster, freshmen that are still trying to figure it out, um, guys that you are putting in star roles that aren't really stars, and it's costing you. And you know, Duke, as a result, is bravely not participating in the remainder of their non-conference schedule, which amounts to one game. But, you know... Grayson Allen, very familiar with that unit of measurement. He is. Um, so I mean, it's it's gotten it's gotten Coach Kane a little bit of a uh, a pickle, um, in that he he came out and said he, he was very concerned about player safety and not playing the remainder of their non-conference games, and it, the the timing was just particularly bad optics um, for Coach K. So he has been getting dunked on uh, just a little bit. As he should be. Like, this is a guy who a few months... Let's try that again. This is a guy that a few months ago was saying, like, the, you know, we need the NCAA tournament. We can't have two years in a row without it. And now all of a sudden... His team gets into a little funk. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe it's not. But it's just, like you said, it's just fishy timing that all of a sudden, instead of before when his team wins a couple games, now it's, you know, they've lost two non-conference games at home for the first time in like 40 years that he has to say, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be playing the season after all. Maybe it's not the best thing for us. Yeah, and it's, it's tough because, like, He's right, but I'd rather that like anyone else say it because the messaging coming from him and and with his track record of, you know, having suspicious health incidents at opportune times and things of that nature, um, this seems to be following along in the same path. Um, Right. But the questions need to be asked. Like, we we love college sports much to anybody but like 
it's hard to look at what's happening around the country. And unless you are as big a water carrier of the NCAA as Rothstein, it's hard to look at what's happening and, and emphatically say, like, this is working because it's not. Like, we have countless schools that still just have not played a game. Like, DePaul has not played a game. When will DePaul play? Yeah. Never at this point. They've canceled Charlie, seven games. Charlie Moore just burning a hole in my fantasy lineup. Um, one of my highest draft picks this year. But, yeah, like. And then you get to, like, a more serious thing and where, you know, obviously we've got Keontae Johnson who's in trouble right now. Yeah. We don't know. No one knows why this is happening. Florida has paused twice, I believe, for coronavirus, once in the summer and then once earlier just before the season started. They don't know if he had it or if he didn't or what's going on, but now he's in a medically induced coma and like all you can do is hope. Like that that is as simple as it gets. And the the message Coach K relayed was right. Like if you take if you take the message if you take the name away from who said it and just the message overall, should we really be playing these games? You know, Rothstein is a tweet every damn day of like 35 programs that are all paused because they've had positive tests in or around the, their program and they have to quarantine or whatever. How, how can we say that this has been a success so far? I don't know that you can. Maybe the fact that there are games being played, but even so, at what cost? You would have had to put the bar on the ground to consider it success. Right. Um, yeah, it's like, like is it safe to, to be playing basketball right now? Probably not. Um, if, if it was, I mean, we would be, you know, playing in leagues, not a care in the world. Um, right. But, like, e- even these guys who, as Jay Billis has said, seemingly every time I've seen him on TV recently, like, we're, we're treating these guys like essential workers, um, being tested every day, um, you know, ignoring travel restrictions to get them to and from games. Um, it's, it's, it's a little jarring. And like, obviously the players want to play, but at a certain point when it's, it's coming into a safety thing, that's not always who, who gets to make the final decision, even though you are a stakeholder. Um, like the, the example you'd always given the last two games I've heard him is kind of talking about just like, you know, playing at the park or playing Little League or whatever, and, like, there's lightning. You might want to keep playing, but they're going to kick you off the field. Like, right. We, we just – it's not safe to do this right now. And I don't know at what point college basketball would, would kind of take a step back as a whole. I don't know if that's something that the NCAA really will do at all. But, like, if you have any – teams kind of stepping back and taking a break or just like we don't feel safe right now no like nobody should be forcing them to play like what what, if you want to play play if you don't like there is there's no shame in that yeah completely understandable given the the state of the country you have no idea who's going to get it what it's going to do at this point so if you don't want to don't do it yeah um and it's kind of the same things like you can you can act like you're getting pressured to play a certain number of games and officially there is a minimum number but as we've seen those don't mean shit yeah seeing 
goalposts have been moved um, in the college football world. And the same thing, if like, you know, Tennessee finally has started, but if they were getting into DePaul territory and they had only played a handful of games but kept winning, you think they're going to be held out of March Madness? No shot. Like breaking breaking news, DePaul has not played a game and will remain on pause following another positive test. Uh, next two games at Providence and at Butler on December 21st will be postponed. Okay, so... That's nine games now. 2021, realistically, is, is probably when they, they start playing. Um, yeah. But that, that's dependent on a lot of stuff. And mainly people stop testing positive within the program. Um, and then, like, also, it's, um, it's going to be rough out of the gate for, for DePaul, for sure, um, from a, a rust perspective, from just, like, coming back from having COVID perspective. Um, is presumably multiple people on the team have had it, um, and everyone else in the country has been playing in live action, so... I almost shudder to think at, uh, at what that's going to look like. I don't know. And all I can say is I, nothing has made me feel better about the direction we're going. I, I no, feel yeah. just as bad, if not maybe worse, than preseason. Yep, that is, uh, that is accurate. Um, so that's, uh, that's about all I had. I don't know if you had uh, – Anybody else you wanted to call out this week? Uh, I'm going to call out Memphis. They're four and three. Uh, they lost to this year's version of Auburn, which is not good. And I don't know. They just they can't seem to put it together. They're actually playing defense this year, which is huge. Cannot score or cannot consistently score, I should say. Penny needs to figure some stuff out. I don't know that this was ever going to be a great year for them, but I think we all expected them to be a competitive team in the American. And I am not quite sure where they fall at this point because obviously it's Houston and the rest, but I don't know where in the rest they fall. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, they're certainly a, uh, a top four, top five team um, in the conference, but not on the same level as, as Houston at all. But the, the, the Penny Saga, I don't know how this is going to play out because the very obvious connection of getting James Wiseman to Memphis, like that right. is come and gone. Um, and you did not really get anything out of it. Not only the he didn't play most of the season, but there was no NCAA tournament at the end of the season anyway. So can't even kind of use that as, as something you accomplished. And there, there's still plenty of talent on the roster. Is there, James Wiseman is not the only notable recruit who made it to Memphis, but like, I don't think anyone had a, poor second half of the season than Memphis. They kind of collapsed down the stretch, not coming out of the gate hot here. At a certain point, you have to do something with the talent on your roster. That's it's really as simple as that. They're shooting the ball horrifically. They're 30% from three, 65% from the free throw line. 
they turn it over 14 times a game. I mean, they're, they're basically, they're basically Kentucky at this point with less talent. Um, so yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot to figure out for Penny, but like you said, the, the biggest draw to bring him in as coach, I mean, I guess you could say like the, the wow factor, the, the star power, whatever, the clout, James Wiseman. It's the biggest yeah. reason they brought you him can, in. You can say other thing and like it's, right. it's a lot less blatant than yes. some no-name guy off the street who just happens to be close with James Wiseman. But yeah, Penny, Penny does have, you know, a track record as well, um, but like if we're being honest, that was the main reason. And exactly. We're past that point now, so not not married to the concept of, of Penny at, at Memphis the long term without, you know, something resembling on-court results. Yeah, and, like, what are the expectations for him? What what determine – like, what is a successful season? I, you got to think NCAA tournament. I'd hope they're, they're certainly talented enough um, – you, you could look at it a couple ways. You could, you could look at how they ended last season and just throw in the towel mentally and be like, well, I mean, they're, they're, just, they're just not a good group. Like they're, we, we shouldn't set expectations too high anyway. But when you actually break down the roster and, and who's on it, it's a lot more talented than people give them credit for. And also considering, you know, it is still the American. And yeah. it's, it's not – a power six conference and you don't have to worry about UConn anymore. Um, right. As they were picking things up a little bit and becoming more of a force to be reckoned with. So you should be one of the best teams in your conference. No question. Um, Houston is obviously a force. So a, a conference championship is not a uh, like get this or you're fired, but right. Like you gotta, I would think if, if they're not, in the top three in this year's American, then like there, there's going to be some problems. Absolutely. And, and the, the other point to go along with that is last year, you can kind of chalk it up to young players, guys who, who haven't really yeah. been there. A lot of those guys are back and like, sure. Losing James Wiseman off the roster um, superficially looks bad, but he played three games last year. So whatever they were used to, they, they probably got better interior play this year with Musa Cisse than they did last year. Yeah, I mean, they, I would hope, got used to playing without him right. over the course of the season. Um, obviously, at a certain point, it, it just turned disastrous during conference play. But, uh, yeah, it's, that, that's not, that's not a, an acceptable excuse. Like, there have been far more games without him that you've played together than played with him. Right. So whatever mental burden or, or shock you suffered initially when he was ruled ineligible, like I can understand that maybe lingering for a few games, but we're in a year. Season. Yeah. <laughs> Let it go. All right. Um, fun to pick on Duke. Always. As it was fun to pick on Kentucky last week. So can't wait to see who the punching bag is next week. Um, as I said, we'll be back later in the week for spread option. A lot of winners were given out last week. Banking on more being given out this week um, yep. to, to protect the brand, but you'll have to listen and find out. 
and uh, yeah, we'll we'll be back with this show again next week. So we will see you then.